Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. I'm Matt Downing. I'm Julie Cook. And you're listening to Rethinking EDU. Thanks for joining us, uh, wherever you're joining us from. Maybe it's the car today, maybe it's over your favorite breakfast meal, or maybe it's over uh, dinner with your dog at your feet. Who knows? Whatever the case might be, we appreciate you being here and listening to us. And uh, we're bringing a really awesome guest, Dr. Sarah Pazer. Sarah, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Yeah, no problem. No problem. And uh, Sarah and I, we were joking before we started the recording this evening that um, we haven't talked to each other in like 15 years because back when I was doing student teaching in my first year of, of being in a like formal classroom, if you want to call teaching at a big picture school formal classroom, um, Sarah was also working at the same school that I was. Um, since that time, a lot of things have happened in you know Sarah's life and my life. And Sarah's got this fascinating background um, and we're going to get into that a little bit more. But Sarah, right now you are the director of school leadership with CS Partners and the founder of Flex Tech Education, which is a um, professional development organization um, in the Metro Detroit area. Is is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And just a little bit about what you do in your roles with um, CS Partners now and um, what you did as a founder at FlexTech? Sure. So CS Partners is an educational service provider. So we provide kind of like central office support to charter schools across the state of Michigan. So we support them with you know compliance and HR and payroll, but also um, leadership coaching and curriculum development. And so I'm uh, in the role of director of school leadership. So I support and coach the school principals um, at three different schools, um, which happen to be flex tech schools. Um, and so I work with the leadership teams there, and um, we meet you know regularly and and kind of. I coach them through different challenges or problems of practice that they're having um, and provide curriculum support as well. And then with FlexTech Education, this is kind of a a consulting kind of spinoff to what we do at FlexTech, but we provide um, professional development for schools that are looking to implement project-based learning or competency-based learning. Um, And so we have three FlexTech schools that have all been very successful um, in implementing those programs. And so we have often been approached by traditional districts um, or other charter schools that are looking to start up their own schools. And they um, have, you know, sought us out for support with some of those things. So we decided to develop kind of a teacher-driven consulting business, and that is FlexTech Education. So we provide support that's all teacher-led, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think that it's likely you and Julie could spend many hours talking about teacher-led initiatives um and i'm sure you guys should connect after the pod to to talk more but i want to talk before we get into that a little bit more about how you got to this place so when we met it was the mid-2000s we were both teaching in this big picture school in detroit um you know the first big picture high school in detroit and um that was certainly a unique experience we're in this little sort of like very green grassed kind of um, space in Midtown, uh, which is right near one of the big universities in the city, Wayne State University. Uh, we had a really interesting model going on there, particularly for the city. Um, 
but then after that you you left uh big picture and went and worked for the henry ford learning initiative in dearborn if i remember right and then you've done all these other things since then so how did you how did you sort of end up in the big picture space first and then kind of what happened what happened after that sure so um I happened to be in a family full of educators, and my mom was a principal at the time when I was getting ready to do my student teaching, um, and she had a connection with a colleague who had just started, it just got hired at um, University Prep, which is the big picture school, and um, this person was, they were looking for student teachers, they, they wanted to try to kind of sort of groom uh, you know, prospective teachers that were coming out of university in this new model. And so they really were seeking out student teachers. So I got my placement there. And honestly, I never looked back. It was one of the best experiences I ever had. Um, and I loved it because I knew I wanted to work at a school that kind of challenged the traditional school paradigm. Um, I grew up and attended Catholic schools all my life, which happened to be pretty rigid and um, definitely kind of a one pathway um, for students. Um, and I, you know, even though I was one of those students who was compliant, I never felt engaged or excited about what I was learning. It was very, you know, textbook and dry. And I knew that I wanted to get into education and do something different. And so when my mom had connected me with this colleague and I, I visited university prep and kind of saw what they were doing with advisory and the interdisciplinary project-based curriculum um, and the internships that they offered students. It just really spoke to me. And um, I did my student teaching there and I was lucky enough to get a position the following year. And I spent eight years there um, and just built some wonderful relationships with students. And I think that was one of my favorite parts of working in big picture was the the looping, like being with your advisory um, from ninth grade through 12th grade, you just wind up, you know, becoming family and you get to know your students' families. And um, I just look back on that time as just really fondly. And, you know, so it's something that kind of stuck with me. I always knew I wanted to continue down that path um, of staying in a school that was similar. Um, and when Henry Ford Academy opened, it was, it was very similar to the big picture model, um, but it had an art and design kind of slant to it which was exciting. And um, there was a leadership position open and I, I was ready to take that next step out of the classroom. And so I wound up there. And then from there um, was the curriculum director for about four years. And then I saw the opening at FlexTech and it was cool because FlexTech kind of blended all of the neat things about university prep with everything I loved about HFA. <laughs> and it was kind of like mashed together in this really neat um program that had advisory and it had projects and it had a flexible schedule um, and they were looking for a principal and I just felt ready to take that step. So that's where I ended up um, for my principal tenure and then they were managed by CS Partners and so one thing led to another and I moved into more of the, the management side of supporting principals um, through CS Partners. And so that was kind of the journey. Um, that's awesome. From the <laughs> to the present. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of needle in on your work that's happening right now, right? And particularly thinking about, um, your perspective on schools and education as it's kind of evolved and particularly within like the last five years or so. And we could talk about this year, which I'm sure is like 
exceptionally unique from your point of view as it is from our points of view at all teachers, you know. But I, I want to kind of look at um, your experiences over the last few years helping lead like a network of schools um, and support a network of schools. And what are some of the maybe challenges that you've noticed that schools are have been experiencing during this time? Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be pandemic related. I'm sure there's a lot of pandemic related challenges, um, but perhaps maybe a few of the other challenges that were cropping up before the pandemic and what your experience was like trying to support schools through those challenges. Sure. Yeah, I think um, pre-pandemic, I think that student engagement was always one of those things, right? It's been kind of this age old challenge that, you know, educators have been trying to to tackle. And I think that's why we saw schools like Big Picture um, kind of crop up because they're sort of trying to address this issue of, you know, student engagement and intrinsic motivation and using student interest to hook students in and, and have them, you know, achieve success in high school. So I think that this category of just engagement um, has been a particular challenge, though, in the last five to 10 years, because it seems like schools haven't kept pace with 21st century lifestyles and like modern living. And so I, I think that this gap between what it's like for, you know, a student in, in their life outside of the school building on a daily basis, and then what it's like to be inside of a school building for six hours a day or whatever, it's that gap has widened. Um, and I think that, you know, we've got a culture that's very mobile and we work from anywhere and we're very connected and, um, we use and rely on our cell phones all the time for things. We're we're solving problems kind of in social atmospheres around social media, where you're asking for advice and giving you know feedback and making decisions and getting recommendations. And it's a very social thing. Um, and then you go to many traditional school districts, and you what you see is a ban on cell phones or a ban on social media, and it's very isolated and it's not collaborative. Like subjects are taught in silos and we keep things competitive and we sort and rank and we do all these things that are really contrary to what it feels like to be kind of a modern citizen. And I think that that's the, the crux of the issue of like student engagement is like school hasn't kept pace with what it feels like to be like a modern citizen. And I think that that's one of the challenges that I see no matter where I go, like across the board, um, whether it's charter or traditional, like, I see that kind of come up as something that we're constantly talking about. Um, and I think that also related, maybe not so much to the, on the student side, but more the teacher side is just this kind of lack of respect for the teaching profession at, um, is another challenge. And so a symptom of that is, you know, teacher shortage. So I think that just finding people that want to dig in and like really dismantle things and do this work because it's so hard, I think it's, we're, we're kind of facing this like crisis right now of teacher shortage and just, you know, not, not addressing kind of what it's like to be a teacher today. Yeah. We've, we've definitely like dabbled in that topic potentially in every episode of this like second series that we've been um, talking through, which is our perspective series. I, Julie, would you agree? Like that's come up in like all of our conversations the last like month or two, right? Yeah, absolutely. Engagement and then, um, you know, teacher, um, just feeling, teachers feeling disconnected, students feeling disconnected, 
and trying to find our way forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really love the way you put it, Sarah, that there's like this bizarre sort of <laughs> like, I don't even know what it is. Post iron curtain, iron curtain that exists around schools. Like you walk over the threshold and all of a sudden you have to like put your cell phone in a cell phone locker and then, <laughs> and you, you like, uh, have crappy technology in a lot of schools and you like get all your information out of this, you know, 45 pound book that, uh, that's just not how like the world works outside of schools. And I am struck by the image that you're presenting there, that this gap between like outside of school and inside of school is just like acres wide it feels like right now. And and there are some schools that are really trying to modernize in that way, you know, and then some schools trying to do it without a plan, which I think is also fascinating. Like the LA school district a couple of years ago was like, you know, iPod, iPads for every single student. And then they were, they were like, oh, wait, we have to like hire staff to support that. So never mind. We're like not going to order any iPads now. And this like all happens within the course of like a month. And you're like, what is going on? And you just see schools as they as they like slog through that sort of modernization experience as being like so indicative of of the issue that um, that you're talking about. There. Yes, or you buy the technology and then you just wind up digitizing a textbook and like the the so the the learning experience is like the same except it's on a computer, right? Like not like understanding what the shift is that needs to happen i think that's that's also the frustrating part is like there might be these like this i don't know perception that they're sort of modernizing but <laughs> really they're just doing the same stuff in a different format yeah yeah creating like itunes or itunes u playlists right for for students which is ultimately just ends up being like chapters of a textbook right <laughs> yep exactly Sarah, I was curious about your experience in this time that we are living in, um, in the pandemic. Um, you know, here we are um, all trying to navigate. What have you seen in your network of schools? Um, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, project-based learning um, with the flex. You, you talked about a little bit about competency-based and project-based learning and some of these network schools that you work with. Um, what does that look like in this time of hybrid, remote, six feet and masked up if you're in person? Like, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we had to, although we were able to make the shift a little bit faster, like I said, than other districts who might not have been, you know, competency-based or blended at the time, it was definitely a shift because we are project-based. So kind of pre-pandemic, the flex techs were, I, I mean, I guess I would call us blended. We did allow students to have flexible schedules and to work remotely. Um, and, you know, they were doing some internships or taking dual enrollment classes. So they were a little bit used to that kind of mobility and working remotely. But the project part always kind of happened in class um, for the most part. So we had to figure out how to put projects online. Um, so I think that was where we invested most of our time and energy was how can we create that experience for students online? Um, and I think like we had some successes. I mean, it really, what it did was kind of open up our eyes to adult partnerships that 
we could use because we were remote now and it was more an acceptable kind of form of collaborating like business leaders or community partners were kind of like zooming in to the classroom and helping students and we had students do kind of presentations to you know a zoom room of of adult experts on the topic so in some ways it kind of opened up our eyes to how we could get better at using the community um and then of course other ways like it was a loss because students didn't have access to our makerspace they didn't have access to materials um physical materials to build or make things um and so I, one of the innovations we put in place was we had kind of these like care packages or boxes with materials that we would deliver to students homes um so we had to get creative with that like how could we recreate the you know, the experience of working on something tangible. Um, so that was kind of our solution, but we're still kind of grappling with that. I mean, I do think it, it's hard to recreate that experience of collaborating um, virtually, even though, you know, we do it with breakout rooms and we do it as best as we can using like Google Docs or whatever. Um, it's hard, I think, for students. Um, and that's something that we're, we're working through. Yeah, I think most schools have had that same experience, right, where we've had to look at different platforms. Um, we found a lot of different tech resources that support more collaboration anywhere from, you know, the basics like a Zoom room breakout space, but, you know, also different things um, like Soundtrap or Padlet, um, things like that. And And you're right, like more people are willing to Zoom in and give their time. Um, but the sad fact remains, you know, sitting around a table and brainstorming and trying to come up with a solution to a problem, um, something's lost when you can't do that, you know, have that interaction. I uh, totally agree with you. So I can't wait to get vaccinated. <laughs> but, yeah. I know. You happen fast enough. I'm with you. I, I feel like in many ways we are collaborating more than we ever have as an adult team, though. Like um, before, you know, I supported the three different schools and we I would have three different meetings, you know, at each school. Now we have collaborative meetings all the time, like once every other week we're working together. So I think that's broadened the access that school leaders have to support and resources, which has been such a blessing um, for them. And so I think that that's one of the those silver linings to all of this is just the adult professional development and access to kind of open educational resources and things that they probably wouldn't have sought out or experienced otherwise. Sarah, you've been part of a, a bunch of schools, right? We've been talking about your experiences and going from big picture and, and going to a different uh, schools throughout your experiences. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what are a couple characteristics that make a school successful? So as you think back to these different schools that you've gone to, that you've been a part of, are there a couple threads that you can look at and be like, yeah, that, 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 uh, those can make those things made that those schools successful and those pieces might be able to make other schools successful as well? Yes, I love that question. I think this is something that both or all three, big picture, Henry Ford Academy and the Flex Tech Share is the teacher decision-making. They have a stake in, in the game. They they were part of either building the school from the ground up or they came in later and they've had leadership roles and they're part of that decision-making process. I think that has made every single experience I've had at those three schools um, just 
awesome. I think that's the, that's something that you can tell when that isn't the case in other schools because teachers feel um, just alienated or maybe angry or just they don't buy in and decisions even you know even decisions that they might otherwise buy into maybe they just feel kind of not part of the process so they're not as likely to to participate. I think that is one of those things that I think sets successful schools apart from schools that are struggling. Um, I think along those same lines, opening up channels for student feedback is really important. Um, and I think that's been a game changer, you know, even within the same school year where, you know, we weren't seeking out student feedback and we were, you know, banging our head up against the wall. And then all of a sudden we did like a student focus group or we had a round table or a town hall or, and then all of a sudden we were like, oh, okay, that's why that wasn't working. Like being open to really listen to and respect student voice is also important. Um, I think one of the things that we learned from that this year that we implemented right away was, I don't know if you're familiar with Youth Truth, um, national nonprofit. They, uh, I'm not. Okay, so they they do surveys for. No, gotta check it out. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. They it's like a student voice survey, and they look at um, different domains like engagement and rigor and culture and sense of belonging. And so we invested in the survey this year, and it was just so eye opening about you know what we learned and I think like we learned that okay students feel like they have um, a say but they don't necessarily feel like they belong which was so interesting so we kind of like dug in a little bit deeper about like how can we create that experience um, but anyway I don't mean to digress but the point of that was just kind of like making sure you have tools in place I think to capture student voice and experience is going to make all the difference in, in initiatives. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing those. It's really interesting that your responses, you know, really kind of boil down to, you know, giving uh, teachers ownership of the school and bringing student voice uh, front and center. And it's kind of sad, you know, that those things are, are not embraced within schools um, because they seem like, you know, they would be so powerful. Um, I wanted to follow up with something you said a little bit earlier. You were talking about you know, the the journey that you guys did throughout the pandemic to bring these project-based learning, you know, within this virtual world. And, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with people about this, and I think people's uh, definitions of project-based learning are a little bit different. So I'm curious, maybe our listeners are curious, what's a good project that you've seen done in a virtual space? Sure, that's also a really good question. <laughs> Put her on the spot. Way to go, Matt. <laughs> so this was a project. Okay, to be fair, it's it started before the pandemic, but we had to execute it virtually at the end. So it was um, it was called the Vacant Lot Project, and basically, students were given plots of vacant space in the community that they had to you know decide how they were going to use it. So it could be a business. It could be like a community space that they built, you know, so they had free reign of what they wanted to do. Um, but they had to sort of research and put together, you know, a business plan that and make the case that this proposal would thrive like in this community space. So they wound up, it was a, it was a um, social studies project focusing on econ um, competencies. And so the students, you know, made these proposals and then they had to pitch them um, and get feedback. We had 
this was in the Brighton community. So we had like members of the Brighton Chamber of Commerce there. We had like a, um, a contractor that came and that normally works with like new buildings that are going up. Um, so we just had different adults that joined these presentations and gave students feedback on their pitches. Um, and then they're going to connect students that the winnings, I don't mean winning, but the, the pitch that they liked the best because they were all great, but this one that really we thought could thrive. Um, they're going to connect the student to resources to help them kind of bring this to fruition. So it kind of hit all of those things that I think really like gold standard, you know, top notch project based learning has to do. It's like it starts with just a question. It leads students to research. They get to use their interests. They have to consult with community members. You know, they're still learning skills at the same time. They've got a public audience. So those are kind of like all those things that I'm looking for for a project to be really successful. Um, and we were able to do that virtually. Uh, so I think I think it can be done <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, you just have to work around it. Yeah, and as, as you're working with these different schools, these different groups of teachers, and they're, they're trying to, you know, implement these project-based learning, um, what do you see, what are you finding as some of the biggest struggles for teachers as they're trying to incorporate dynamic uh, project-based learning lessons? I think... Um, from the perspective of, let's say, a traditional teacher or a teacher that has taught in a traditional district that is coming into project-based learning, one of the things that I hear is like, well, how do I make sure they're going to cover all this, the, the competencies or the skills, or how do I make sure they're going to, um, you know, like what you get what, what I want them to get out of it and not like being open to letting that project unfold on its own and connecting kids to those skills as they go along, but thinking of it as more like, I need to cover these things through this project. Um, I think that's the struggle that I see the most um, is like this fear that somehow we're not gonna impart the knowledge we need <laughs> to give to students. Um, and just instead of trusting that process and that it could be even more and deeper and better than, than you thought, um, going into it. Sarah, as a follow-up, do you think that that's due in part to um, like a lack of exposure in maybe traditional teacher prep programs? You know what I'm thinking, particularly around the um, high-tech high graduate school of education that they just started in the last few years. And then in my school, um, you know, we run this this uh, very robust program for students who have uh, language-based learning disabilities and man, we just struggle trying to get teachers on board, trying to get them up to speed, trying to, um, you know, I guess, engage in a very entrepreneurial community. Um, and I'm wondering if you might have similar experiences because teacher prep programs need to, <laughs> frankly, need to pivot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I do. I do think that that's the case, even though we've, I think we've evolved a little bit and project-based learning has become a little bit more mainstream. I would agree with you though, mm -hmm. in terms of like actually implementing it, different story, like kind of back to what um, Matt, you were saying about how everybody's definition is different. I think sometimes people think project-based learning and they might think of like a science fair poster or something, <laughs> And but to really do it, I would agree with you like 100% that it's just not part of, you know, the student teaching or the um, university experience, kind of the teacher prep experience, it's just not a part of that. Um, 
I do think too, we always, or we also give the, um, or we create systems that don't value that type of like teaching. So we're really, we're tech prep heavy, or we are focused on, you know, teacher um, evaluation being um, tied to test scores. Or So we, we give these messages to teachers that we really just want you to be traditional, but then, you know, so they're not willing to take those risks, right? So it's, it's not their fault. It's they're being sort of kind of punished into <laughs> doing stuff that they might maybe don't believe in, but they're like, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta get these scores up. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on a vacant lot project when I just need to really get kids to understand these economic principles. So I could see why we, why they struggle. Yeah. And I, I would add to that, that, um, the school then often spends a lot of resources trying to like backward engineer student test scores to go up. Right. So you have like your project-based periods that meet during the day where students can collaborate, they can do the vacant lot project, they can do whatever, but then all of a sudden they have to spend 45 minutes a day on like, you know, intermediate algebra skills only that are like totally disconnected from their project skills because the schools have to, and the teachers have to worry so much about, um, you know, these, these pesky test scores. Uh, hopefully maybe that'll go to the wayside. I don't know. Positive silver linings from the pandemic. What do you think, Julie? Well, I, I was just going to jump in and say, don't we all agree though, that the opposite seems to be the case. Uh, so when you see a school start to flounder and flail about and their test scores are dropping or they've never been good, um, it seems to be the knee-jerk reaction is to, you know, stick those kids on a pile of worksheets and have intensive remediation and those kids become disaffected. You know, they don't want to learn in these environments and then we wonder why and then we try more worksheets and, you know, it just is a catch-22. But if you would pivot and, you know, kind of look at school the way Sarah has painted this picture for us, more engagement equals learning. I mean, if we just started there, right? I mean, I, I just think that what you're saying is so key to just learning and it's just, uh, you know, basic facts. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not like, yeah, people approach project-based learning like, well, after they've mastered these basic skills, then they can, you know, we can let them mm -hmm. the project, but it's like, no, like the project is the, the learning. Like that's the method you use to like deliver the skills um, or build the skills. So it's like, that's so frustrating. I'm, I'm with you, Julie. Sarah, I want, I want you to kind of uh, zoom out a little bit and take a look at maybe the, your personal school experience, like you mentioned earlier, going to Catholic school and how that's impacted you. It's funny. I think you're the second person that we've talked to in a little while that was at Catholic school that was like, get me out of here. <laughs> um, and then as school, as you uh, maybe see it being experienced for by students right now, I'm curious if you might um, kind of identify some opportunities for, for change um, that you might see? Yes, I think, hmm, I think understanding that you don't have to tie like seat time to like student achievement, like those two things should not be tied together. Like the number of hours you spend in a school building does not equal, you know, engagement or better um, learning. So yes, I think that like thinking about being more flexible and um, giving students more um, 
ownership over creating their schedules and, and, you know, being able to have some free time to kind of go deeper and collaborate and work freely and really do like projects because they're not, you can't just go from class to class, you know, six different times a day, 50 minutes each and really get to do anything cool or, you know, any projects or collaborating if you're constantly kind of following a bell schedule. Um, so I think the opportunity is there right now for us to kind of, you know, take those two things apart from each other and really say like, okay, students should be able to work and advance upon mastery. And the task is what should determine how they spend their time or their, their day. They shouldn't, we shouldn't be trying to reverse engineer and put that stuff into a five period or six period bell. So kind of like blowing that whole thing up <laughs> would be something that I would um, really hope that we learn from the pandemic and that we can change. Um, and I think that it took this to kind of understand that. I think that it, we're just, it's so ingrained right now that learning only happens in the school building and it doesn't happen outside of school or, you know, it can't happen if kids aren't in the building for six hours or whatever it is. I think we finally have gotten that, um, that message that we can be a little bit more flexible. So I hope that carries on. So I think you're right where many people are looking at this pandemic it certainly is a tragedy. It's pushed education, I think, to the limits. <laughs> um, I'm tired, first of all. But <laughs> beyond that, um, right now could be our, our moment, really. Um, I know there's a lot of conversations happening. A uh, hundred days of conversation is happening, um, starting up here quick, um, across the country about this transformational change. What have we learned? What are our takeaways from this time? So what are your thoughts about that? Um, what's the solution to all of this? If you were to suggest um, the one or two ways that schools should rethink their existence right now, what would you what would you say? I would say really explore mastery-based learning as, as a, not just as an assessment solution, but like how could you really organize your school around mastery-based learning um, and, and start there? I think that's, the next kind of conversation that we're going to have that it um, assessment the way that we do it now and in grading just isn't serving students and it really isn't even reflecting like what kids can do or what they know and I think and it's also not communicating to stakeholders what kids can do or what they know um, so I would say like starting with assessment and, and thinking about mastery based learning is really important and then I would say if I had to pick a second thing, I would go back to what I had said earlier about listening to stakeholders and really spending some time giving students and staff um, the floor to talk about, you know, what's working and what's not and, and start there and respond to those things. I think we need to really put student voice and teacher voice at the center. Yes. I'll tell all those things. <laughs> By the way. Hey, everyone. It's Mike. As you might have noticed in our last podcast episode with Jen McGovern, we teased a little bit of our sister podcast, Diving Deep EDU, hosted by our very own co-host, Matt Downing. We're hoping that Diving Deep EDU can be the first in a collection of podcasts that start to explore education from a wide variety of perspectives, hosted by a wide variety of voices. So have a listen to Matt's ad, and when you're done with that, please keep rethinking EDU. Thanks. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. 
Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Yeah. Diving deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. Sarah, this has been awesome. And every episode, we uh, like to sit back and kind of reflect on the conversation that we've had with our guest. Um, and you've given us tons to reflect on. I uh, love to invite the guest to reflect with us. You're more than welcome to do so. But co-hosts, what is this conversation kind of making you rethink about education? Julie, you want to go first? Sure. Um, well, I think the two big takeaways um, in my view are, you know, student voice and teacher ownership. Um, if that could become the hallmark of every school, of every professional development, of every teacher prep program, like how do you build that teacher ownership so that things aren't happening to the teachers, that um, we're collectively deciding um, a new way forward for the school? Um, I think that would really change everything, that mind, mind shift um, mindset shift. And then including the student voice, um, I think it's plain to see that, um, especially in the little Zoom windows, that kids are, you know, checking out in a lot of places. It's, it's been really challenging to keep them engaged. So just thinking about all that Sarah said about uh, student engagement um, and trying to rethink how we can tap into what their interests are, um, I think has been a wonderful conversation. I love that vacant lot project idea too. Yeah, I'll just continue with that vacant pro that vacant plot uh, project idea. And one thing that you included in that example as you were sharing that was that you brought people from the community into the project. You brought experts from the community, and you not only um, brought them into the learning process, but you connected them. And um, that's something that excites me, the idea about that. And I think that's something that's missing as well. It takes time. It takes building relationships. It takes finding out who the experts are and where we can plug them in and then reaching out and making that work uh, within the learning objectives. So I think that's wonderful. And that's something that has sort of sparked uh, some excitement within my mind. So thanks for sharing that. I think for me, it is my thoughts are surrounding um, Sarah's work with CS Partners as being really important. You know, some of the things that she's talked about and we've kind of mentioned here in this conversation are hard for schools to do. And they're hard for schools to do because, and this sort of gets into a little bit around my doctoral research, they're hard for schools to do because people have a vision or an image of what they think that school should be. And so when we're asking parents, when we're asking students, when we're asking teachers who've gone through many years of school, often pretty good at school themselves, when we're asking them to kind of reimagine what schools are, it's hard for them because the cognitive dissonance there is really strong. You're saying, let's do project-based. How many teachers actually grew up doing project-based learning for their, you know, however many years that they were in school? And I think the answer to that question is potentially more now than ever, but still likely not as many as we would like. And so as a result of that, you have a lot of um, very capable, wonderful human beings who are teachers and who are also really dynamic 
at their job and you're asking them to do something that maybe is very different from what they've done in the past, that requires a lot of support, you know, and um, it also requires support kind of at the other end, which is how can we message this to the community to say project-based learning is a good idea, even though 90% of our community members may have never experienced a project-based learning school. Um, how can we support administrators in their efforts to promote this type of instruction that we know is high quality, that we know is important, and then get other community members on board and do all of that while, you know, um, while students are learning new things and, and doing uh, rich projects and engaging with these community members in, in positive ways. I think that just requires a great deal of, of effort on the part of groups like CES Partners and other groups existing around the country to help promote that change through mentorship and through support. And so this conversation has me really uh, thinking about how important that kind of like um, that effort is in that kind of in-between space in between the school that has already done the changing and the school that wants to do that changing and how critical it is that we all occupy that space to support one another as we're kind of moving toward what we would like schools to be. Sarah, what are you thinking? Yes, I 100% agree with that too. I yeah, it is it is so hard and it's so when it gets really hard and like there isn't that immediate payoff and people are mad at you and you're parents are like, I just want a grade. I don't want <laughs> the stupid standards-based report card, you know, just give me what I'm used to. And you're up against that. It, I think it, it can be so tempting to like revert back to what is familiar and what we've always done because it's the path of least resistance, even though you really don't want to do it, it, it. You just get tired and, and you just have, you're like, okay, I need to do something. And I think people, unfortunately, when they don't have the support, you know they have to fall back on those those old methods and yeah it's 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 more a flaw of the system and than it is of the person's will because it's i think it's just really hard to do um, so i 100 percent agree with you well sarah we're nearing the end of the conversation but we always love for our guests to plug something that they're reading listening watching eating whatever it might be but before we get to your plug i know matt brought a plug matt um you want to plug something? Yeah, I mean, all of this talk about project-based learning, I'm going to plug a school in Budapest, real school, um, and they're, you know, really trying to have the whole, you know, day and their whole, even environment, the way that they've built the school, um, you know, around experiential projects and learning. Uh, Budapest, Matt, um, that's not close to Philadelphia. Just, uh, you know, they'll put that out there. We might have to take a plane ride there. Little road trip, little road trip, huh? <laughs> Sarah, what would you like to plug? Um, I came across this um, group of people, and I've been following them on Twitter. It's the Human Restoration Project, and I am new to them, so I don't know if I'm late to the party, but they are doing some incredible stuff, kind of going back to what you were saying, Mike, about like challenging systems and you know what can you do to make this like radical change they've got tons of really great like protocols and thinking tools and resources and all kinds of stuff to like help you work through that um so they're new to me but they might not be to you and i, I want to plug them cool yeah i've heard of them but i'm not uh 
should I say, an expert in what they have to offer. So I'll drop that link in the uh, podcast description. I've got a plug tonight. How about that, huh? I'm going to plug a podcast that I started listening uh, to recently um, called How to Citizen uh, with Baratunde, and it's so good. Oh my gosh, I like had to almost pull my car over listening to the first episode on the way to work the other day because I was like teary-eyed with his first guest. It's incredibly moving. It's just so on point to so many of my feelings about the world right now. Um, His guests are amazing and it's all about how to be an active member of one's society um, in one's life and uh, it's it's just really terrific. So if you get the chance to listen to that, um, I'll drop that link in the podcast description. But How to Citizen with Baratune Days is awesome. Well, Julie, did you do you actually want to plug something or no? Mike, I changed my mind. I do have one. It's something I mentioned earlier. Um, 100 Days of Conversations About School. And it, it exactly would continue this conversation we're happening tonight. That, so I, I will drop that in the, uh, in the um, description and um, follow along. It's, it's interesting happening all over social media, and there's the link to it. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, 100 Days of Conversations About School is really great. And sneak peek, there might be a 100 Days of Conversation About School episode coming on Rethinking EDU in a little while. But I'll have to, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, just FYI. (laughs) Well, listen, guests, uh, it's been awesome chatting with you all as usual. Julie and Matt, y'all are lovely. I always appreciate our conversations. And Sarah, it's been so nice to have you here. I have to say, um, as a fellow Midwesterner, your uh, graciousness on this podcast is is absolutely noticed. The number of thank yous you provided are... um, are so warming to my to my midwestern heart so i appreciate that um and listeners thanks so much for tuning in to uh hear our conversation with sarah pazer and uh we hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did as always check us out um on any platform you get your podcast on recently we've been added to audible so if you're a uh avid audiobook listener plowing through Obama's uh, book, which I am right now, which is really amazing. And you want to switch over to some thought-provoking podcast conversation, feel free to check us out at Rethinking EDU on Audible. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep rethinking EDU.